Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. All right, church, if you'd open your Bibles up to the first book, Genesis, that's where we're at today. So, a lot of announcements today. You know why? Because we're kind of restarting church after the summer. And so one thing that we're going to be doing is going through the Bible together, and we're starting in the beginning. Um, the entire church, I want to thank my wife, number one, who has worked tirelessly over this last month. Not only do we have a move coming up, but we have a massive shift in children's ministries happening within our church right now. We have been using very good curriculum, topical curriculum, but uh, the kids starting this week are going to be starting exactly where we are starting. And uh, they're downstairs right now. They're going to be learning the same thing that I'm preaching about uh, in preschool and in kids' church. And after about... And after the first of the year, the youth group's going to be on board as well, okay? So uh, they're going to take time right now and do a Bible study um, that I think is really important for them to, to do, and then they're going to jump on board with, with what the church is doing. She has worked tirelessly making copies, making, you know, just training leaders, and, and so thank you, Stacy, for all you've done over the last month, and uh, You've worked really, really hard, and I think it's going to make a huge impact on our church. Can we just thank her and just show our appreciation to her? <clears throat> she works really, really hard in not only just leading worship, but making sure that our children get the best. Your kids are a priority to us, and uh, it's not an afterthought, and it's not childcare there. And we believe that this step that we're taking starting today, is, it, it, it uh, reinforces that idea. Stacy and I served as children's pastors for 12 years. We started in the inner city of San Antonio, working with kids in the Alison Courts Housing Project, one of the roughest areas I've ever seen in my life. And I'm, I live, I grew up near Chicago. Okay, it's pretty rough where I'm from too. And uh, but Alison Courts was something like I'd never seen. People still staggering around, drunk, uh, gang members everywhere in the morning, still just kind of wandering around as we're starting our Saturday morning Bible study. And uh, that's where we started in ministry together. And then God opened a door for us to start working full time as children's pastors. And we took that position. I quit my job with Lockheed Martin and took a non-paying volunteer children's pastor job and uh, we worked little side jobs to support ourselves but we supported our ministry by working it wasn't the other way around and so um, and 12 years later you know we we grew uh, into another role but we loved serving kids kids have always been a priority for us and and uh, that's why the first thing we started here was a kids ministry even before we had a youth ministry not that teenagers aren't important too but we really feel like kids is where it starts I want to tell you every youth pastor I've ever worked with has thanked me for our investment in kids because it makes it a lot easier to pastor the youth group when your kids already come saved and filled with the Holy Spirit it's just like okay this is an easy youth group to handle, okay? And um, so one dream of ours, though, and we just always had pushback from our senior pastors, is that the church be under one banner per week of learning one centralized gospel truth per week. And now, I don't know why it took us six years to realize this, but now we're, we're in charge. And we can do this, right? We can do this. And so 
this is what we're doing, okay? We're adopting um, a, a program entitled The Gospel Project. Some of you are familiar with The Gospel Project. You have in, you've encountered it before, especially in children's ministry. I'm not sure everyone has also had the pulpit ministry behind it as well, but this is something that we uh, feel strongly about. It's, it's something that we feel can empower parents to do what Deuteronomy says. When we are to be teaching our kids, when we stand up, when we lie down, when we are meeting together, when we're eating together, we're to be talking about the Lord Jesus. We're to be talking about the commands of the Lord. We're, we're to be, it's, it's supposed to be part of our daily conversation. Jesus wants to be part of our lives beyond Sunday morning, okay? And uh, this enables you to be on the same page as your kids. And some of you have been in church a long time. You even remember church when they had Sunday school, right? And you went. You went. You went to Sunday school. And, and Sunday school is where they taught you the basics of the faith. But in pulpit ministry, we've lost that. And as churches continue, including ours, continue to not offer Sunday school, then some of these basic things get overlooked. And so this is a big commitment, Okay, I don't think it's going to be a huge change because I'm still preaching and I'm still bringing the same kind of flavor from the pulpit, but the content is going to be a little different. Okay, We're going to go through the Bible together. And we're going to cover doctrine together, and we're going to grow together. And we believe that as you embrace this with your kids, that we are going to see exponential growth within our families, and that's really what we want. We really want to see your families grow. To reinforce this, growth groups will be operating on the same way they've always operated. You'll be discussing the finer points and exploring even deeper Sunday's message. Every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, we will release a devotional available on our website. There's a new subtitle on the website, smcc.info or .net or .org or wherever you go. There will be a devotional. You can click on that, and every single day will be a new devotional lining up with the message from that week, okay? If we invest in this, if you invest in this, and you really dig deep in every single subject every week, I believe 100% you are going to be a stronger Christian at the end of this year, all right? And every time we top tackle a unit or a segment of Scripture, your understanding is going to grow in that segment, especially today we start in creation, we start with the formation of the earth, and uh, there's a lot of questions around this, and there's a lot of people who feel a lot of pressure to defend things, right, and um, uh, to defend the accuracy of the biblical narrative against science and what, what, what uh, evolutionists would say, right, and sometimes you can feel silly being a creationist. I want to tell you today that it's, the, it's evolutionary science that has a lot more explaining to do than you, Okay. Yes, I said explaining, okay? But, uh, yeah. So let's get into it. Today, we're talking about creation. In the beginning, God created everything. God created everything. One of my favorite movies of all time, Star Wars. Yep, big time nerd. Because that's the first movie I remember as a little kid. All right. I remember being at the drive-in movie and seeing the Millennium Falcon 
just creeping over into the screen, and then it seemed like seamlessly shooting off into a clear night sky. If you don't know what a drive-in is, let me just fill you in. It's a place you go watch movies outside, and you put a little metal box on your window, and your dad pops a huge grocery bag full of popcorn. That's when grocery bags were also paper. And, and butter, you could see the butter stains seeping through. It was so awesome. And he'd shake that up and just homemade popcorn. And then we'd all lay out in the back of the station wagon and pop it open and watch a movie. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I remember, I remember the night vividly, seeing not only Star Wars and the, the, that, that, that uh, Carillion Corvette coming in. Yes, I know what it's called. And coming in and all the engines blazing. And you're introduced to the, the primary characters that will outline the entire franchise from there, right? You're introduced to Leia. You're introduced to Darth Vader. You're introduced to the struggle between the Galactic Empire and the Rebellion. You're introduced to all these key things because that's how movies start, Movies start by introducing the key characters and the narrative that's going to form the rest of the story. And I could go on and on about Star Wars, but that's not what I'm up here to talk about today. Some of you are like, thank God, okay? Next week, Lord of the Rings, man. We're going to get really deep, okay? But movies start out, and okay, yeah, even Lord of the Rings, you see Frodo right away, right? You see Bilbo right away. You see him. Why? Because it's the introduction of the main characters, And so when we start the biblical story and we start in Genesis, it's the same thing. The the main characters, the the, the Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about God. And from the beginning, we see this because it says in verse 1, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God, God starts the whole story. God preceded everything and everyone, and all of creation owes its existence to him. Everything in the universe came from somewhere. If you go back far enough, you reach a time when everything and everyone in existence recedes into nothingness, except for God, because in the beginning was God. See, every story, every book, every movie has a beginning, and the story of the Bible begins with four astounding words. In the beginning... God. God wasn't just there at the beginning. He was there before the beginning. And what this means is that everything and everyone has an origin except for God. Even time is one of God's creations. C.S. Lewis uses the illustration of time, and he, see, he talks about how humans see it. We see time very linear, in a very linear fashion, right? We know What's going to happen? Maybe, you know, we know what we want to do in the next hour, next two hours. And we see it like time as a, on a, on a, we're on a line, right? And we can only see ahead or behind us. God sees time like it was a line on a piece of paper, right? And he sees all the way back and he sees all the way forward and he sees everything in between. And this is where some people get things confused, you know, because the Bible says God has predestined things or he has foresaw things or he sees time. Time is his creation. And so he sees time completely different than we see time. And so does God know whether or not you're going to be a Christian? Yes, he knows what choice you will make. Does that mean he has already decided you will or will not be a Christian? No, because God has created each one of us with an independent free will. And each one of us can respond to God's invitation of grace. But he knows whether or not you will. He knew Judas, 
would betray Jesus. Why? Because he sees time in a different way. He sees it from the outside. Time is one of his creations. And just like he is the master of all things on earth he has created, he is the master of time. Before the beginning, God was there. The depiction of God that we see in the Bible takes our simple ideas of religion, even our very simplistic ideas of who God is. A lot of times we picture God as one of us, and we relate to God as one of us. We think of God in human terms, but he's not human. God is beyond us and beyond our understanding. And for, for some people, this is a huge hiccup, right? Because it because you're never going to understand all of the mysteries of faith. And if you can't understand everything, or that is to say, if you can't be in control of everything, then you have a real hard time accepting God's word at face value. You have a hard time trusting in him. But it shows us, these first four words showed us God is fundamental to everything in our existence. Everything. Everything. In this session, we're going to talk about the beginning. We're going to talk about God, how he created everything. We're going to talk about how God created everything good and how God created everything for Jesus. Everything is created for the Son. Verse 1 of Genesis says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This creation account given to us in Genesis differs drastically from other creation accounts because it, it, it states that something came out of nothing. Every world religion, every other world religion has creation coming from something. But God created something from nothing. He didn't start with any raw materials when he created. He spoke and the mountains erupted out of the earth. Think about that for a minute. And the next time you're in the Alps, you think about the creative genius of God. You know, an artist sees a canvas and maybe he sees what he can put on there. A sculptor maybe sees a beautiful figure within the marble, but God spoke the marble into existence. He didn't have to put his hand to the plow. He spoke and the universe was created. Creation out of nothing. See, some of the more ancient uh, Myths about creation uh, involve different gods performing different acts, working with materials that are already in existence. For example, one ancient religion teaches that humankind came from fleas off a deity's body, but only after he died. Another ancient religion teaches God was sacrificed by other gods and his dead body transformed into the creation. When one god found two lost gods, he shed tears of joy, which became the first men. And another religion teaches two deities built the world with their thoughts, but it took three tries to get satisfactory human beings. These are other accounts, ancient accounts of creation. But in Genesis, it all starts with one god who existed before everyone and everything and created out of nothing with complete intentionality and ease. He was really um, intent on creating things exactly like they are. And after everything, God said, it is good. We'll get more to that in a second. But it is important that we understand that God created something from 
nothing. That God alone is eternal. If you don't believe this, you're going to be challenged in your faith as a Christian because denial of this doctrine has implications for God's sovereignty and His providence in creation. You're going to have a hard time believing God is sovereign and all-powerful if you can't accept Him at His word. That's going to be a problem. Creation has meaning and purpose and also gives us meaning and purpose. So if you can't accept the gospel narrative of creation, right, you're going to have, then you're drawing into question the authority and the authenticity of God's word, which is going to make it hard for you to follow Christ in other areas, right? Now, this idea is what's funding or fueling our movement here, right? We want to elevate God's word. We believe it's God's word that changes hearts and minds. We believe it's God's word that infiltrates and touches people's heart. Not just the articulate message or the great music, but it's God's word. And it's his word going out. And church, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, but you struggle with the authenticity and authority of God's word, this is something you must settle if your walk is going to move forward. Period. Period. Where is God's word? Where is the importance of your life? Do you approach God's word like you approach a buffet? You know, you pass the beans and you go right towards the shrimp, right, man? You go right, you know, you go to the Chinese buffet, you're like, rice? Uh-uh, I don't think so. I'm going right for that shrimp. I'm going right for it, right? I'm going for those, those crab legs, like my frau, right? She just goes straight for those crab legs, man, right? But God's word is not a buffet. It is his revelation of himself into humanity, and what he has revealed, we can't just receive what we easily can understand or really readily want to accept. To me, understanding creation is no more easy than understanding God's grace. You want to talk about an enigma? The grace of God to people who would put nails in his hands and spit on his face that he would extend to us forgiveness. That's a mystery. That is crazy love. That is crazy grace. That is crazy to even think about. And we can't even get our minds wrapped around that. There's a lot in Scripture that is hard to understand. And creation is definitely one of those things because it's so beyond us. For us to create, we must labor, right? I think about the remodeling of the, the parsonage and the work that's gone into that, about how the laborers have come together and patched walls and even put in new holes and then repatched them and done this and done that and all the work. And then they've created a beautiful home, right? And an artist works and labors and creates a beautiful masterpiece, but we can't get our mind wrapped around speaking it, right? A beautiful masterpiece, speaking it. I've been to the Sistine Chapel and I've looked up and my, you know, I didn't, you know, I can't even imagine painting the Sistine Chapel because just looking like this for about 10 minutes put the biggest crick in my neck that I've ever had. And this guy's on his back for like, I don't know how long to paint these beautiful murals in the, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It took work. It took labor. But God spoke it all into existence and he revealed himself to us through his word. His word should be precious to us. Many of us are familiar with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And while God is powerful enough to create in an instant, it's interesting to notice that when he first created the heavens and the earth, it was formless and void. Verse 2, it was a dark, empty mess. And out of this chaos and darkness, he brought life. See, while God can create in an instant, oftentimes he uses a process. Oftentimes he uses the process. If we expect a relationship with God to transform everything about us all at once, we're at odds with how God operates, how he often works. Though he could do it, oftentimes God uses the process. And a lot of times the processes in our lives are difficult and hard, and we resent God for them. But it's through that process that God brings new life. So number one, God created everything. In the beginning was God and he created everything. My second point today is God created everything good. Everything was created good. Start with me in verse three. And it said, and, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven or sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and there was the third day. The author of Genesis wanted his readers to know the goodness of God's creation. Not just that God created, but that it was good. The goodness of creation is actually just an overflow of God's goodness. Because he made it. And that's why the phrase that we see God created everything good over and over again. And though God is great enough that he could stand apart from his creation, he is good enough that he does not want to. God inhabits his creation. He is intimately involved with his creation, always seeing what happens in the world and never dismissing it. God is active in creation. Sometimes I think about what a huge God we serve and how I fret and I worry about problems, but I serve a God who spoke the universe into existence. And how stupid I am. After 20 some years, I still freak out. I still worry. I still, you know, react as though God didn't exist. But we're in the palm of His hand. He has not abandoned us, He has not left us, but He is alive. Jesus is alive, and our God is active in our lives, and we are in, nestled in the palm of His hand. Through trial and through joy, we, He is with us. He is with us. Amen? There's an essential doctrine that we need to get. Now, no, there's two. Number one, God created everything. Number two, 
is that all of creation was good. In Genesis 1, God affirms it is good. Today, the world is not good, right? The world's not good. It's full of strife. It's full of adultery. It's full of anger. It's full of pornography. It's full of jealousy, greed. The world is not as though God, it's not as God created it originally. It's not in its good state. Why? Because sin entered the world. God created everything good. And you think back, God created everything good. And then he created us. And we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, about God created us and, and also called us good. Because initially, we're, we're good. We're good. There's no death. There's no sin. There's no grave. There's no toil. Everything in the garden was created for us. And then, and then we sinned. And then all the evil comes in. But because creation reflects God, it is, and because each person is an image bearer of God, God's people should affirm to preserve God's creation, right? Does this mean you should join PETA? No, right? It doesn't mean you have to join PETA. If you are a member of PETA, cool, okay? If, you, if you're a vegetarian, that's cool, right? If you're a meditarian, that is also cool, right? Whatever. But, you know, I've, I've come across some Christians who actually push back about stewarding the earth, and I, I can't get the reasoning behind it, Right? And I mean, I guess some of them are like, well, Jesus is coming back, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, God will take care of all this trash when he burns the earth in fire. I don't know, right? All I know is God created the earth. And he created it to sustain our lives, right? And, and as Christians, it should be a priority for us to steward the earth well. We should be environmental advocates, Right? We should care about the earth. Now, should we worship the earth? Should we call it Mother Earth? No. Right? We should not worship the earth, but should we be good stewards? Should we embrace the German uh, ethic of recycling till you die? I think 100%. I, I really do. I think we should embrace it. Right? Not for maybe the same reasons, right? but what, because we are good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Right? He, has, he has created the earth, and the earth is a reflection of his glory. And when I go to places that are abused, you know, how many of you have been to Rome? Raise your hand if you've been to Rome. Seriously, raise your hand. Okay, how many of you have been to Greece? Raise your hand. How many of you have been outside of tourist areas in either of these countries? Right? And you see there's spray paint and graffiti everywhere, right? There is garbage everywhere. And, and I remember when we were traveling in Greece, and if you're, if you're a Greek today, you know, I'm sorry, but this is what I saw when I visited Greece, right? And we were going between some major cities, and impromptu dumps were everywhere. Like somebody was driving a pickup truck down the street and threw one bag of garbage off the side, right? And then another, oh, there's a bag of garbage, and somebody else drove by and threw a mattress. And then pretty soon, there was an entire, I'm not exaggerating, field of garbage that was not a dump. It was 10 feet off the road. And we saw this multiple times uh, in Greece, not Italy so much, but again, the filthiness of it takes away from how beautiful these cities really, really are, 
right? And the history involved. And when we don't steward the earth well, we pollute it. It, it diminishes the creative uh, reflection of God in it, you know? And I mean, I, I, I think this is one thing I love about living in Germany, how they protect their green spaces, how they recycle, how they steward the earth. Well, I, I love this about it because I think it's important, not because I worship the earth, but because I think the earth reflects God's glory. And it's important that we still be able to go out and see trees that are more than 10 years old. All right? I still think it's in San Antonio, when they build a housing development, they tear down every single tree. Every single tree. If you want a tree to stay in your yard, you have to pay big money to keep the tree. That's crazy. I love mountain biking. I love going, and I love it for the exercise, but I also love it because it gives me a glimpse into the creative, awesome power of God because he did it like that. The Bible tells us he spoke these beautiful trees into existence and every critter and even those wild hogs running through the Schoenbuch forest, he created them in an instant without even like with an instantaneous thought he intentionally created everything so we should care about the environment little soapbox there sorry about that we should care it's not unchristian to care about the environment these two are not at odds with each other but god's creation listen carefully here it's perfect and it's good, but in some ways incomplete. And this doesn't mean that God fell short, but created, God's, we are created in God's image and his creative nature has been given to us as well, right? And so we're, we don't create, we're not gods. We don't create something from nothing, but the things that God has given us on the earth, we've used to construct buildings and make masterpieces of art. I think one of the you know, art doesn't really do a lot for me. I like seeing it. I'm not an impressionist guy. I'm definitely a realist guy. But one piece of art, the Madonna, uh, Christ holding, the Madonna holding Christ, I think in the St. Peter's Basilica, in one of the naves, I looked at this piece of marble and I just wept. I just wept. And, you know, because it's just, man, I don't know what it was about it. And I've seen lots of art in Europe, but this is the one that moved me the most. The young Mary holding Jesus as he came off the cross. Just, it, it, just made me, it just moved me to tears. And, you know, that's, that's awesome. And that took labor and it took work, but it's still God's creativity working through humanity. You know, a person created that. A person created that. And it just reflects that God's creative nature has been given to us as well. Though we can't create something from nothing, each one of us has been given a gift in creativity. Now those gifts manifest themselves in different ways. Some of them it's jet engine mechanics. Some of them it's, elect it's electricians. Some of it's, it is artists. All right? Some of it is home decorating. Some of it is working uh, with computers. All of that creativity is still at work today, forming the world we live in. Because his creative nature has been kind of handed down to us. And in, in so, we reflect who our Father is. The master creator, right? He's not president business, right? 
And if you've seen the Lego movie, you know what I'm talking about, right? President Business, he's the one, okay, forget it, whatever. He's not up there with the craggle, making sure we're all just this and that. But his creative nature has been handed down to us. Contractors, even lawyers, even lawyers. Take, I, put, I wrote down, insert, insert lawyer joke here, but uh, forget it. I'm going to spare Joe, Joe the joke today. But lawyers and politicians ought to, and most do, take the raw materials of Judas' prudence and legal history, and they make laws that make our lives better. And parents take the raw materials of their children and shape them into the people, into people with character and integrity. Everything was created with a specific design, the sky, the earth, the sea. But we should ask, how can we glorify, by, how can we glorify God by using our creativity, using the raw materials he's given us and bring glory to God? How can we use the creativity he's given us and bring glory to him? I'm telling you, it takes many forms and shapes. And, and we think of God only in church because we're so segmented in, segmented in this. We think, well, it's, I can only glorify God at church. You can glorify God with whatever gifts, talents, and abilities he's given you. You can be a blessing to the church. You can be a blessing to others. And you can draw people's eyes towards Christ. My third and final point is this. God created everything for his son. The Bible primarily is about Jesus. Right? We have the story of creation. Guess who was there? Jesus. Right? Who entered humanity to save us from our sin? Jesus. Who will be our judge on that last and final day? Jesus. When we read to the end of our Bibles, we see a picture of Jesus. The revelation. You know, some of us say, well, uh, the, you know, I want to read Revelations. The full title of that book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. When you get to the last book of the Bible, it's about Jesus. When you start in the first book of the Bible, it's about Jesus. And when we get to chapter 3 of Genesis, we're going to see that Jesus entering humanity wasn't an afterthought or reaction to the fall of man, but it was from the very beginning that Jesus was destined to come. Because in order for us to have free will meant disobedience is possible, and for disobedience to be possible, Jesus had to come to save us from ourselves. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the lamb destined to be slaughtered and simultaneously be the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is the center of it all. He is first and he is last. Colossians 1.15 and 18 says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You want to know what God looks like? Though you may not have a physical image of what God looks like, you can know the nature of God through the demonstration of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus came to reveal to us the Father. He came to show us the Father. The Bible says in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn born from the dead that in everything he may be preeminent. You should tattoo this on this forearm right here, right? So you can look at it every single morning. In everything, he is preeminent. In everything, he is preeminent. It is about Jesus. It is about Jesus. 
Listen to what the text says. He's the firstborn over all creation. He created everything, and all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and he holds all things together. And since all of creation has Jesus as its center, Lord and goal, we should submit control of our lives to him. Let me just say that one more time. Since all of creation has Jesus as its center, Lord and goal, we should submit control over our lives to him. If he is our creator, if he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, if he really is the alpha and the omega, why do you have control of your life? Isn't it better to put things back in the hands of our creator? Creation's always been about Jesus. It's only ever been about Jesus. He's at the center of it all. And Jesus is the word of God. The word of God is Jesus. Since the explosion took place and the stars were put in the sky, I'm not talking Big Bang Theory, I'm talking about it happened in an instant and the skies were lit with stars. Jesus was there. And he'll be there when it's all over. He'll be there. See, living contrary to Jesus' authority in the world carries severe consequences. You're working against the grain. You're working against the creative order of the Creator. Jesus is the only force in the universe keeping it from unraveling. If every atheist got his way and we quit talking about God and we quit worshiping and the Holy Spirit left, took his presence from the earth and the earth was left to its own devices, the world would not be a better place. It would not be a better place. And even though our government, both federal and state, down to the, just, the, just the ridiculous down to the smallest city council, is doing its absolute best to eradicate God from every aspect of public life. As long as there are Christians, that will never happen. And, and it's, it's to their benefit, right, as much as it is to ours. Because as long as the presence of God is here on the earth, it is the only thing keeping society from completely unraveling, completely getting back to I mean, going to its absolute basis, right? Just to its just most immoral. It is the church that is keeping the flood from happening. It is the church that is, is, you know, sometimes it can feel like the Dutch boy with his finger in the dam. But it is the church that is keeping the world from unraveling by our faithfulness to the Lord. When God's word is rejected, order becomes disorder, light becomes darkness, and goodness becomes terror. Sin tears our society apart at the seams. We, we, we don't even know the most basic things anymore. It damages our families, it puts darkness in our hearts, and it places us in bondage and addictions. But there is hope. There is hope in Jesus. Because from the very beginning, God had a plan to put everything back together and make everything right again through Jesus Christ. So we know, and maybe you came here and you already knew, hey man, I got it. Jesus created the, the world. You know, I believe in the creation story. What, what, what do I do now? What, what is my mission with this? The gospel demonstrates crazy love 
Love from a good God towards his own creatures who have rejected him. And this love changes us, for sure. And all of God's creation testifies to God's good creator. But we know that sin is in the world. And thankfully, the story doesn't end with the fall. Rather, God's plan involves redemption and restoration. And it's accomplished through Jesus, specifically through his sacrificial death and resurrection to save sinners. And this crazy kind of love, what are we to do with it? Communicate it. Communicate it by any means necessary, through service, through words, through honoring God in our homes and in our work life, by reflecting the creative nature of God and his goodness to the world. None of us were good until Jesus got a hold of our lives. None of us were good. We were corrupted by sin, and Jesus alone comes and makes everything right. This morning at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was awake. I have no idea why, but I laid there until about 2.30, and I said, well, I'm just going to get up and redeem this time if I'm not going to sleep, and I started praying, and I started reflecting upon the grace of God, this absolute awesome grace of God that took a broken sinner and takes broken sinners and restores them to a point where they, it was as if they were walking with Jesus in the cool of the night as we read in Genesis. That our restoration is not partial, but it's complete. Not in some future date, but now. That our redemption, we have been, the price has been paid. It's not, it is being paid. It, it has been paid. And the forgiveness that God offers is, is so astounding. It's so astounding to us. God, you made all things good. And though we sinned against, we sinned against you, you, you have taken it upon yourself to restore our relationship. Isn't that awesome? Isn't this a message that deserves to be communicated and shared with the world around us? I want to tell you that sharing the gospel with the world around us starts in your house. Make Jesus Lord of your home. The third, fourth, fifth person in your family. Sixth, if you're especially ambitious with kids. Make Jesus Lord of your home. Talk about Him. Talk about Him. Pray together. Seek God together. Reflect Him in your homes. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.